Welcome to Britt David Podcast, as we welcome Andy Wells and his message, The Most Important Question, Who Do You Say That He Is? You do not need me to introduce Andy Wells to you, for sure, but I want you to know how grateful I am for them and for his family. Uh, He and Natalie are gifts from the Lord to us as a church. Natalie, their daughter, and Andrew's up there working in the works every Sunday morning, Sunday night upstairs, and I'm grateful for what they do. Um, Andy is a gifted teacher of God's Word. In fact, today in Sunday school, I, I, I hate to have to leave early sometimes and had to today. I think we could have sat there for another hour and, uh, and soaked that up. So I'm looking forward to hearing him tonight, and I know that you are. So Andy, come on up. I'm grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Well, I, I see who didn't get the memo this morning that Tim wasn't going to be preaching tonight. So, surprise. <laughs> but thank you all for being here tonight. I was talking to Sean a few minutes ago, also right, right before the service, and I was telling him that I was talking about being nervous, you know, and, and I'm not a public speaker by any means. And, and so I was talking to him, and I, I was telling him that um, a, a pastor a friend of mine preached 50 something years I guess at his church and and I asked him one day I said do you still get nervous after 50 years you know and he said well if you don't get nervous then it's probably time to hang it up because that means that you are relying too much on yourself and not relying on the Lord while you're preaching and I can tell you I ain't relying on myself at all tonight and I got got Tim here too so a little added pressure there but uh Anyway, I, I thank y'all for being here. I thank Tim for trusting me with the pulpit tonight. It's a, I, I consider that a place of honor, and I thank him for, for allowing me to, to be here tonight with y'all. And You know, my greatest fear when I'm preaching or when I'm teaching is that I will say something that's incorrect, and it will lead someone away from truth. And so tonight, I pray that the Holy Spirit will guide me and guide my words and not allow that to happen. So I pray for a, for a message from the Lord himself tonight, because if these are my words and my message, then you could have stayed home and you could have got just as much out of it. But if we got a message from the Lord, then that's life changing and it'll be worth something and you'll be glad you came. But again, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to, to be here tonight and to open God's word with you and see what we can find and see what the Lord's got to say to us tonight. So uh, tonight I want to talk about the best possible subject that you can talk about and that is Jesus um, one of my co-workers uh, is a great man of God kid kid I say he's a younger he's in his 20s so he's a kid. but he is very uh, mature in his Christian walk for his age and uh, he, he knew I was gonna be speaking tonight and he when he came in my office uh, earlier in the week he said what you gonna be preaching on I said well Jesus he said well I guess that's okay then that's pretty good so that's what we're gonna look at tonight is Jesus and who was this man? Was he God? Was he man? Who was he and why are there so many different answers to that question? You can ask people anywhere. You can ask five people who Jesus was and you get five different answers most of the time, unless you're in a church. If you're on the street, you get all kinds of different answers. Jesus was the most polarizing man that ever lived. He's caused empires to fall. He's caused nations to be, to be founded in his name. He even controls our calendar. I was born in 1972. That's 1972 years after Jesus' birth. Isn't that something? Even an atheist who doesn't believe, his birthday is based on the life of Jesus. 
Even to this day, his name evokes so many different responses, some love and admiration, some hostility, and even some hatred. Some say that Jesus was a good man. Some say he was a prophet, a teacher, and others say that he was God. The question tonight is, who do you say that Jesus is? That's the most important question you can ask. And each and every one of us at some point in time will answer that question. The Bible says that there is a day coming to where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So whether you want to answer that question or not, at some point, you're going to answer it. I hope it's tonight. If you've never answered that question, I hope it's tonight. Because that answer, or the answer to that question, will determine your eternal destiny. Turn with me, if you would, or it'll be up on the screen, to the book of Matthew, chapter 16, and starting in verse 13, and we'll read through verse 17. And I hear some pages turning, so I'll wait a minute if y'all going to turn in your Bibles like that, rather than just read it on the screen. So I'll give you a second to get there. Matthew 16, 13. It says, and when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you speak to us tonight, Lord. Give, a, give us a message from on high. Father, bless these words and use them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus and his disciples had been traveling around the northern regions of Galilee uh, now uh, has come to Caesarea Philippi, and I don't have, for anybody that's in our Sunday school class, I don't have a map for you tonight. I usually do. I like to visualize where I'm talking about and learn it and know it a little better, but I don't have that for you tonight. But Caesarea Philippi was about 25 miles due north of the Sea of Galilee at the base of Mount Hermon. And they had been preaching and healing and ministering to the multitudes. But the question that, that Jesus posed that, at this time was not to the multitudes, but it was to a small group. It was to his disciples. Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. But Jesus would not, could not be mistaken for one of the prophets of old. He was unique. No one could measure up to the things that he did or to the things that he said or to the prophecies that he was fulfilling right before their eyes. The people saw that there was something different about Jesus, but most of them didn't quite get what, what that difference was, who Jesus really was. Some did. But the next question he asked, that next question would be a personal question. The next question would shed some light on who they were, the disciples, individually, it would tell the other disciples if they had a good grasp on Jesus, what he'd been teaching, and who Jesus was. This question had consequences. 
And I'm sure he got very quiet in that room after Jesus asked that particular question. He said, but who do you say that I am? And that conjunction, but, it means something there. He had asked him who the others thought that was, that, who the others thought that he was, and, and they gave their answers. And then he said, but, meaning I'm not interested in what the others say that I am. I'm interested in what, who you say that I am in spite of what the others think. Now, did he already know their th- that what they thought? Did they already know their answer to that? Of course he did. He knew that. They didn't even have to verbalize it. He already knew. But he didn't ask the question so that he would know their hearts. He asked the question so that they, the disciples, would do some soul searching, look into their hearts and their minds, and answer that question, that life-changing question that Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And unlike just a few minutes before when, when he asked, who do they say I am? I'm sure, you know, you teachers and all are in a classroom or in a meeting or something, if there's an easy question ask, everybody wants to throw up their hand and answer the question, right? Who do they say I am? Well, they say Elijah, they say this, they say that. Then he said, who do you say that I am? I'm sure he got quiet. Because it's, I see that as being one of those questions to where you think you know the answer and you want to raise your hand and throw that answer out there, but you're not quite sure if you got it right. You're not 100% sure if you know exactly what he's asking so you don't say anything. I'm sure it was quiet. Nobody said a word until Peter spoke up. Peter wasn't shy. Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. What a revelation that was that God had given to Peter. He didn't say it like a question like, you're the Christ, son of God? No, he didn't say it that way. And he didn't say it uh, after seeing a miracle or something, seeing God, Jesus walk on the water and say, this is the son of God. He didn't say that. This was a deliberate, thoughtful answer that he had said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he had answered correctly. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or son of Jonah. Flesh and blood didn't give you this answer, but it was revealed to you by my Father who was in heaven. Flesh and blood can't reveal this to us, y'all. Man can never mentally understand without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit speaking to us and revealing that to us. Coming to Christ can never be an intellectual decision. It must be one made on faith and faith alone. So how is, able to, how is Jesus able to do all this? What, what makes him so special? What makes him unique? And how can we know God better by understanding or knowing Jesus? Is it possible for us to, re, to, to know who God really is? The best way to know who God is is to look to Jesus. Our understanding of God must come through Jesus who reveals God, who God is to us. You know, when, when you're speaking to someone or anyone from another faith, whether it be a, a Muslim or Hindu or Jehovah's Witness uh, or an atheist, the biggest objection you'll ever get, and it'll happen 100% of the time, is on the deity of Christ. Who is Jesus? They can't understand or they refuse to believe that Jesus is God. So tonight I want to give you four characteristics or attributes of Jesus that may give us a little better picture of who Jesus really is. Number one, Jesus, Son of God. 
And it, it, you might say, well, that's easy, you know, but, but it took me decades to, to truly get this. And, I, and, and what I'm saying tonight is nothing that y'all don't already know. Uh, somebody, a wise man, I don't remember who did, once told me, said, we already know all this stuff. Sometimes we just need reminding. And nothing I'm saying tonight is new. Agent Rogers, Tim's buddy, says, if it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. There's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun, right? So uh, nothing here is new. And it, it's, y'all say it's easy, but it gets deep. And I don't want to get too deep with it tonight because I don't want y'all sleeping on me. But uh, so Jesus is God. And God becoming man is called the incarnation. In meaning in or into. Karnos meaning flesh. So is Jesus God in the flesh? Is he God incarnate? So John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then John 1, 14 says that the, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling, his dwelling among us. That pronoun his, the object of that pronoun is Word. So it tells us that the Word that we're talking about here is a person. This Word, since it was in the beginning already, was eternal. It already existed at the beginning, meaning that the person called the Word was not a created being. He was eternal. He was, in fact, the creator. He was greater than his creation. He was outside of his creation. He transcends his creation. And then the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we saw his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So we see that the eternal word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was already in the beginning. He was eternal. He was with God and he was God. And then he became flesh. So who, who fits the bill here? Talking about Jesus, of course. And I think one word in John 1.14 throws us off a little bit, or it always did me, so I'm assuming it might do other people too. But that word is begotten. And so I always read this word begotten to where it had to be a created being type thing. But if you, if, so if you aren't familiar with that word, and we're not, because none of us go around using the word begotten in our language anymore, uh, but it, it, it sounds like it's describing that created being. But if you study that word, and in fact does not necessarily mean created. The word begotten in Greek is monogenes, and most writers of the ancient or biblical times would have used that word to describe a, a one-of-a-kind or a unique relationship, not one of literal begetting or procreating. He was talking about a one-of-a-kind or a unique relationship that Jesus had with his Father. There was no other relationship like it, there would never be another relationship like it. It was totally unique since that word, or hence that word begotten, would fit perfectly there. And to give you a little better idea of how we use that word, I'll give you an illustration that, that I heard by a man named Nabil Qureshi. I was fortunate to be in on a lecture from Nabil several years back in Atlanta. Um, brilliant guy. He was a devout Muslim and converted to Christianity when... when uh, he said that he was on an actual journey to try to disprove Christianity and ended up believing. Isn't that, isn't, that, isn't that neat how that happens so often? So many times an atheist or a Muslim 
We'll be on it, but trying to, to disprove Christianity and end up being a, a believer and converting. The word's pretty powerful. But he came to Christ when he said Jesus, when it spoke to him that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And Nabil passed away a few years ago. He was 35, so very young, brilliant guy. Just, just really, really love listening to him, him speak. He could, he could teach things in a way to where it would really stand or stay with you and you could understand. But he died a few years ago of cancer. But he preached all over the world for several years. And I'm sure he, he helped probably thousands come to see who Christ really is. But he said that when we create something, it's always different than the creator. And so you can have a sculptor who tries to, to create a, sculpt, a sculpture of himself, but it's never identical. You can have a great artist who tries to take a, or, or, or paints a picture of a president, the Abraham Lincoln, you know, we all know that, that portrait, but it's never identical to the object of that. It's only when we beget that it's identical. In Jesus, we actually meet God in the flesh. I was at an interfaith meeting back in uh, several years ago at Florida State, and I did not go to Florida State, so I'm not a Seminole. But uh, I was down there for this meeting, and I was speaking with a Muslim man, and he said, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. He never said, I am God. And most anybody from any other faith will tell you the same thing. Jesus never claimed to be God. Jehovah's Witness will say the same. He'll say he was not God and never claimed to be God. Jehovah's Witness say he was in the, the verse we just read, John 1.1. 1, 1, he'll say in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God, not God. Changes the whole word, the whole meaning with one letter. Said he was a God, a created being. Matter of fact, they say he was the same, uh, the same being as the archangel Michael. Now, where they come up with that, I don't know, but that's what they say. But he said, they say, he never said, I am God. And while he may not have came right out and said the words, I am God, he did say so many things that, that people back in that time would have understood that that's exactly what he was saying. He was, in fact, saying, I am God. And I want to give you several examples of that right quick. Um, in the book of John, we see seven statements that Jesus, said, Jesus made called the I am statements. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the, true, the truth, and the life. And so what's so special about I am? So Moses asked God when he was at the burning bush, God told him to go back and, and tell uh, the people that, that he was going to lead them out and go tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And Pharaoh, I mean, uh, Moses asked God, he said, well, when they, they asked me who sent me, who do I say sent me? And God said, tell them I am sent you. They revered this name, the, the Jews revered this name as being so holy they would not even utter that word, the name Yahweh. When Jesus gave these I am statements, he was in fact saying that he is the great I am. It was him. He was saying that, you remember Moses being back with that burning bush? I am the one that told him to say that I am sent you. Jesus is saying that was me. When, when Moses was on Mount Sinai and, and God gave him the, the, the law, he was, Jesus was saying, that was me. I'm the one that gave the law. I'm the one that carved those tablets with my finger. That was me. I am God. 
first century Jews would have absolutely recognized what Jesus was saying here. He was claiming to be God. John 8, 58, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, this would have made them fall out of their chair. Abraham lived 2,000 years before Christ. But Jesus is now saying that before Abraham was, I am, I was there, I was before Abraham. They would have absolutely known what he was saying. No one would have said that unless they were claiming to be God, and they would have gotten a lot of trouble for saying that. And in John 10, 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. I don't think that needs any explanation, honestly. I and the Father are one. That's pretty simple. Luke, 4, Luke 7, 49, Jesus tells a woman who washed his feet with her tears and then wiped the tears or washed the tears with her, with her hair. He says, your sins are forgiven you. And the people, the Jews sitting at the table there with him said, who is this man who forgives sins? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus was saying, you are correct. And since I can forgive sins, I have the power to forgive sins. Then I am God. He's telling them that. Matthew 12, 8, Jesus claims that he's Lord of the Sabbath. Honoring the Sabbath day was one of the Ten Commandments, God's law. Jesus was saying that he has power and authority over the Sabbath day, which means he has power and authority over God's law which means he has to be God. They would have recognized what he was saying here. And the one instance that's the most telling to me, that, that to me, I don't see any way to, to, to get around saying that Jesus was saying he was God, is in Matthew 26, verse, 30, uh, verse 63 through 65. And I'm going to read that for you right quick. And it's, I don't remember if it's on the screen or not, but it should, probably is. Sorry, starting in verse 62. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you've heard this, his blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered, He deserves death. Caiaphas said he blasphemed. Blaspheming is falsely claiming to be God. I mean, that's, how, do you, how do you get any more plain than that? Did he say the words, I am God? No, but they would have knew that he meant and was saying that he was God. What further evidence do we need? He was claiming to be God. Not a God, not a lesser little g God, but the God, Yahweh. And there are many other instances in the Bible that, where Jesus claims to be God, but I, I thought these were, were some that were undeniable. You can't, get, you can't go around these. But let me tell you, no matter what you believe, no matter what I believe, no matter what someone else says, or they don't say the truth is the truth, and your opinion or my opinion does not change the truth. And the truth is that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is the greatest possible being. He's the uncreated one, the ancient of days, the begotten of God, the everlasting to everlasting. He is truth personified. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
Jesus is God. Join us tomorrow for the conclusion of Andy Wells' message, The Most Important Question, Who Do You Say That He Is? Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.